In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a medical historian discusses why he believes we should all be very concerned about a mandated Bill Gates vaccine. I believe he knows a lot about vaccines. I believe he's a really smart guy. Now, at the same time, I believe he's incredibly misguided. I believe he's incredibly dangerous because he means well. You know, some people may think he's evil or the antichrist. Um, I think he's more dangerous than either of those. I think he legitimately means well. And those people are always capable of more harm. Have you ordered your bottle of Carbon 60 yet? The mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking a tablespoon of this miracle molecule suspended in olive oil for a few months now. We're taking the purest form of C60. It's called ESS60, and it's produced by our friends at C60Evo.com. C60 in oil is a powerful antioxidant that moves through the body like a magnet to attract and neutralize free radicals. It can slow down aging and reduce cellular damage. C60 can improve the immune system and reduce inflammation naturally. 
Often we hear about improved vision and substantially keener mental focus. The mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping much better. We're both pain-free, no joint stiffness or back pain. And that's why I call Carbon 60 the miracle molecule. It's great for us humans, and it's great for our pets. To order, go to c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com slash ref slash rs1. Again, to order your bottle of ESS60, go to c60evo.com slash R-E-F-R-S-1. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Well, it's a national holiday here in Canada, Queen Victoria's birthday. Now, normally we'd be barbecuing, inviting friends over and lighting some fireworks, but there's none of that, of course, because of the continued lockdown. And we love fireworks. So let's hope things get back to more or less normal for Canada Day, July 1st. Gosh, I miss fireworks. Forrest Moretti may create some fireworks of his own this episode. He's standing by to discuss the coronavirus pandemic, the disease models and data that are being used to justify the lockdown and the virtual shuttering of the world economy. He'll also discuss his concerns about a Bill Gates-sponsored vaccine for the coronavirus. After graduating from Wake Forest University with a degree in religion and music, Forrest plied his trade in the film industry for several years, working on several Muppet movies, four seasons of Dawson's Creek, and many other films and television shows as an audio engineer, editor, composer, and animator. He transitioned into technology as a designer and developer for visual effects software. Creator of the popular My Incredible Opinion and Vax Baby video series, Forrest has spent the last few years researching and writing about some of the most enigmatic riddles of science and medicine, notably autism and polio. Forrest has spoken at events and conferences around the country, but prefers to stay close to his writing home in the cab of his 1992 F-150, where many of his manuscripts were composed. He's the author of The Autism Vaccine, Crooked, Man-Made Disease Explained, Unvaccinated, and The Moth in the Iron Lung, A Biography of Polio. Forrest Moretti, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Hey, Richard. I'm good. It's been too long. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. A lot to talk about, obviously. Indeed. Let me get your overall sense of the data that is being used really to drive the policies uh, which have resulted in cratering the economy of Canada and the United States, the world, really. What do you think of the data? Just give me your overall impressions. Well, um, I, I said this before, there, you know, there's that famous uh, saying, I think it's from Moby Dick, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Uh, or maybe that's the, uh, the Mariner's Tale, the, the poem, now that I think about it. Anyway, uh, I say data, data everywhere and not a drop to drink. Um, 
I've spent some time in technology and doing machine learning, which is a sophisticated um, set of algorithms that you know you can train on data, and then you should theoretically be able to ask uh, the computer, you know, what is a probable outcome based on this given set of set of data? Uh, what 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 is your guess as to to what is going to happen? A lot of software companies use this for recommendation engines. You know, uh, hey, uh, you liked uh, this movie and this movie. I think you might also like this movie that relies on machine learning. Um, the technology is amazing, but the problem is if the data going in uh, is biased in any way, which is inevitable, the answers coming out are also biased. So um, this uh, one guy, I can't remember the guy's name out in, uh, in, in England who had created this model. Neil Fer- that, Ferguson. Uh, Neil Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah, he's taken a lot of flack and probably rightfully so. But the reality is that the mistake was not made so much there because all computer models are flawed. They will always have erroneous results. Uh, the mistake was made in trusting the model and approaching it with the expectation that it would be correct rather than a healthy dose of skepticism, which is what we should always have in mind whenever uh, matters of public health or economic policy are being set um, to trust that a computer algorithm uh, or the data that is fed into it is correct enough to make you know massive um, changes in public policy, that is the flaw. I mean, this guy, anytime you have a, a disaster, uh, you're going to have someone uh, as the fall guy. Someone's going to be the evil guy. And I'm not saying this guy is without fault or without blame, but the reality is all of the public health officials, all of the government officials that bought into the model and set their policy based on it are more to blame to me than what he did. But it wasn't just so, this time. He's never been right. If you go back to <laughs> mad cow disease, I think his model projected something like roughly 200,000 deaths in the UK. To date, from mad cow disease, 177 people have died. And that's just one example of many. He's he's never gotten it right. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, that conjures the, the saying, fool me once, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, same, shame on me. So again, I would say uh, scientists will always be wrong. Occasionally they will be right. Um, but if he's been wrong in the past, then all those people who accepted his models as gospel truth, I'd say they're idiots. Why did you do this? Why did you believe that he was going to be right again when he's proven to be wrong before? I think the overarching problem here, and you would probably agree, I guess, is there is this undergirding trust that science is correct and and namely consensus is correct and if history has taught us anything it's that consensus will always be the last thing to be correct consensus always drags behind what is actually correct you know i i have this saying that crazy is just being right too early (laughs) and if you go through the history of science and medicine, it, it's nowhere more true than there, where all those people who initially 
uh, said something, Galileo, you know, you can go back to Galileo and on from there. Uh, you know, they were heretics. They, not only were they crazy, they were heretics for insinuating that the earth was not, in fact, the center of the universe. And um, so eventually, uh, consensus is, is typically proven to be wrong, but they will be last. And next to last will be the authorities which um, pr- promulgated those theories p- put forth that the consensus believes. So all of this stuff is unfortunately the, the result of, of human nature, which is to believe in consensus and for people to trust that science, uh, because they have fancy computers and they're very intelligent people, let's be honest here, people who excel in science and medicine are very, very intelligent people. But unfortunately, uh, we, we've mistaken intelligence for wisdom. And uh, with intelligence often comes a keen lack of humility. And uh, when you have someone with a lot of intelligence and no humility, you know, there will be blood, as they say. Right. And Excellent unfortunately, point. we're seeing that play out uh, right now. They also tend to be uh, scientists for example, hyper-focused in one very specific area. And the, the problem, as I see it, is this over-reliance. It's like they are building this technocracy that many have been salivating for for many years. They are, they're, they're scientists. They're not economists. They're not mm-hmm. social scientists. Uh, and, and this over-reliance on public health officials at the... Um, you know, the exclusion of everything else, primarily the economy, is what is so disappointing and, and confounding, really. Yeah, I, I, I've thought about this, actually, and, and I believe it's a failure of uh, the educational system. And, and the reason why this has failed is the, the credentialing of our world is, is important. We, we've come to this point in society where credentials matter more than experience. You know, in the old days, we had guilds, and you would go apprentice and train, and your experience uh, mattered. Your your uh, referrals from those you apprenticed under mattered. Um, we don't have that anymore. It, it is a race in higher education for credentials, for MDs, for PhDs, and so on. And to gain those credentials, you must have a novel dissertation. And to have a novel dissertation requires more and more specialization. So that is how you get jobs. That is how you achieve tenure, is you have a novel dissertation which explores uh, a field that is more narrow and more focused than those who became. became. So you end up with a gangplank. Uh, that's nailed on to a, another gangplank, which is nailed on to another gangplank, where they're all increasing narrower and narrower. And eventually, you end up with a very specialized group of scientists who cannot relate to each other, who cannot relay their research with each other, and no one understands the ramifications, uh, the halo effect of what they're doing anymore. So exactly as you said, we, we have a, a planet full of dangerous idiots, as I call them, uh, who, who um, uh, I'm sorry, a planet full of brilliant idiots 
who uh, are very smart, but their lack of general knowledge is an incredible um, handicap that none of them realize. You know, if you were to look back and see any of the old science masters, Newton, um, Davy, you know, you go through the 1800s, all of these people were so well-rounded. I mean, they, they painted, you know, they composed music, they, they played the piano, they studied everything, humanities, arts. Um, this is when science was an effective tool for human progress. Unfortunately, higher education has ruined it with this quest for credentialing and the, um, the dissertation model that our universities are built around. Uh, let's talk about a little more specific uh, data and, and what might be wrong with it. For example, uh, we're learning that, well, we were told actually back in April by Dr. Burks, who's on the coronavirus task force with the White House, that they were, gonna, they were going to uh, diagnose very liberally. They were going to base the fatality rate very liberally. In other words, if you die with COVID-19, you would be listed as having died from COVID-19, which then leads to the question, by what order of magnitude is the fatality rate distorted? Mm-hmm. It, it's tough to say. Now, it appears uh, that it has been, uh, there's obviously anecdotal evidence that it's being inflated. Um, there's a financial incentive to do so, obviously. There's a political reason to do so. Um, so um, I don't think we've ever had a politically motivated, financially motivated pandemic like this, where given the political strife that is rampant amongst our world, um, a, a a history of politicians who will tell you never let a crisis go to waste, um, you can believe that the epidemiological uh, weapons are being used at every turn in this disease for, for gain and for loss. There are those who benefit from more death, and we, we can be positive they are, are over-reporting wherever possible. Uh, likewise, there are those who benefit from there being less death, and I'm I'm guessing uh, those people who I would probably consider, you know, me being on their side in a way, but I'm guessing they too, their bias is working its way in, and they're trying to lessen the death. Um, so, you know, this is a difficult problem. If I, you know, I, I'm sort of an historical guy, and if you go back to polio, you know, this was this happened in polio when the vaccine first started being tested, uh, what happened? Well, they revised the diagnostic criteria to uh, consider something a polio case. It went from, uh, you had to have polio, I believe it was for at least 48 hours. You had to have paralysis, I'm sorry, for at least 48 hours to uh, when the vaccine was released, you had to have it for at least 60 days. So, you know, with the stroke of a pen, polio diagnoses plummeted because suddenly 48 hours became 60 days. And that model has continued throughout history. Um, changes in diagnostic criteria always accompany vaccine research, uh, sometimes um, innocently because more is known about the disease and they can make a more uh, explicit 
uh, diagnosis, you know, more more easily. But a lot of times it's accompanied by nefarious changes in diagnoses that purposefully alter the numbers. So with coronavirus, it's difficult to know where the numbers are. I think, you know, the general gist that I'm getting is New York has suffered a lot. They, they really have more uh, deaths there than seem, uh, seem normal. Uh, it seems the overall death rate is, is much less than what we had originally feared. Um, I, I have a hard time justifying the lockdown at this point. I, I don't know how others feel, but I, I just don't think it makes sense anymore. And as I, I'm sort of a, a, a personal liberty guy, you know, I'm an old school <laughs> libertarian, I suppose you might call me. And I, I believe it was wrong to begin with. I think they should have never been able to do it. But uh, I'm just an old fart, I guess, at this point. No, I'm I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. I, I believe uh, that this grand experiment that's going on over here in the Western Hemisphere uh, is based on the the principle that a, a, a free people are are best suited to manage their own risk. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. the The ramifications of any agency, government or otherwise, attempting to manipulate or control something as complicated as risk management is historically uh, been the the foundation of tyranny. And uh, those uh, who ignore this do so at our peril, unfortunately. Um, but you can see it coming. It, it wasn't very hard. You know, what started off as a two-week um, lockdown is, I guess we're here at two months. And, you know, finally people are sort of saying enough is enough. But, you know, my concern is um, the, the government and those in power, conspiracy or not, you don't even need a conspiracy to say this, they, they have a new data point. And their data point is people rolled over really easily. They surrendered without a fight. You know, you say fear and I say I'll do whatever you want. And th that is an ongoing power play that's been going on since the beginning of the church. Uh, something I've been doing a lot of research on lately is, you know, the church controlled by fear, uh, you know, eternal hell and suffering. And they, they gained a lot of leverage through that for hundreds of years. There's a new kid in town, and it's uh, a, a conglomerate of uh, pharmaceutical, scientific and government interests. And now they control by fear. And their fear is disease and suffering. So uh, they went to work when coronavirus started hitting the hitting the uh, the radio, hitting the TVs. Uh, they went to work and they got the fear going. They ramped it up real high. And you and I have all seen pictures, uh, incredible pictures of people living in fear that it just seems too insane to believe. But um, we're witnessing a hysterical reaction to what is clearly uh, something that has been massaged for maximum fear. More of my conversation with author-researcher Forrest Moretti when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, 
Just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Forrest Moretti, the author of The Autism Vaccine, is here. They've been very sophisticated uh, about it, they, <laughs> the authorities. Who whoever. are they? Yeah, exactly. But they, <laughs> if, they went from flatten the curve to stay indoors until we have a vaccine. Not too many people sort of saw that shift in policy. It happened literally overnight. They went from we're going to stay indoors until we flatten the curve. And now it's and basically until we've eradicated coronavirus from the face of the earth. Yeah, I'm. You know, I, people might suspect that there's a conspiracy behind that, um, and, and there very well may be. I, I think it's plausible. I can't say whether there is or not. But the, the issuing of those decrees is just as much a human nature as the acceptance of those decrees. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, you've heard the phrase, boil the frog slowly, and, and they'll never know they're boiling. You know, the, yes. the water starts off warm, and I don't know if that's actually true, but uh, I think that holds true for those who issue these decrees as much as for those who obey them. And I think there are probably plenty of governors who were shocked, who who fell for the fear trap and said, OK, two weeks sounds like a good model. Let's try it. And they themselves got sucked into the hysteria and then they converted into, well, I'm not sure if we can open. And of course, the mob mentality of social media has made governance um, a terrifying um, prospect for anyone knowing that any flaw, any mistake will be amplified a thousand times over social media. So many of these governors who probably were opposed to this um, probably were terrified of the outrage mob on social media should a, a single person die under their watch. So what do they do? They err on the side of tyranny so that no one, uh, particularly the outrage mob, on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, can't attack them for not having tried to do anything. You know, meanwhile, our personal liberties are destroyed. Um, and uh, it, as we all know, historically, it's very difficult to get them back. Do you think that that this is being used much the same way perhaps as SARS was uh, and, and other pandemics, that this is a kind of a beta test? And, and that the authorities use this to see, let's see how far we can push people. Let's see how far they will accept our edicts. And then the next time it rolls around, they push a little bit further. They move the bar a little bit more. Um, I think it's plausible. Uh, me particularly, uh, I think it, if there is a conspiracy behind this, it, it is uh, a purposefully released virus designed to cause ma maximum economic damage, maximum global damage, the destruction of nations, the upset of any semblance of normalcy. And, and I'm not even sure I believe that. But if I were to believe a, quote, conspiracy about this, that's probably where I would go. The 
the uh, concept of testing at this point, I think, is is done. I think uh, the stakes are high. If if you follow um, world events in any way, um, you can tell that those who have controlled the levers of power are being challenged right now. It's clear that this is happening. And so my guess is if there is a conspiracy, this was not a test at all. This was a mac. There was an attack. This was a maximum uh, nuclear, biological, purposeful release of a virus known to cause harm. Now, once again, I'll remind you, I'm not convinced that's true. I need more data for myself, but I'll say it again, completely plausible. I have no, <laughs> I have no reservations about assuming that that is what happened. Um, so in, in fact, I'm not convinced. I, if you were to tell me a year from now, China had been vaccinating their, uh, their citizens for the last year for coronavirus, um, you know, secretly, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think that's the case, but I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, they were paying a lot of money for coronavirus research from American researchers. Uh, they they had access to the virus for years and years and years. You know, why as recently as this year and last year and the year before, why were they paying millions of dollars for the most um, latest and greatest research? And, and I can only assume they were trying to get a vaccine done. Right. Once again, I can't say that. That's my theory. Uh, I want to talk about vaccines and we were talking about areas of expertise and it has always confounded me why uh, Bill Gates, who essentially is a software salesman, has been elevated to this status of uh, almost sainthood. Uh, And people talk about the charitable works uh, of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, But why are we listening to Bill Gates about vaccines, uh, you know, again, he's a software salesman. What does he know about immunization and vaccination? Well, uh, my two cents on it is I think he I think he knows a lot about vaccines. I think he's a very smart guy. Uh, I, you know, I didn't go to school for medicine or science. Uh, you know, I, I studied J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. <laughs> so, you know, what you could say, what business do I have writing books about vaccines or science? And so in that same way, I, I believe he knows a lot about vaccines. I believe he's a really smart guy. Now, at the same time, I believe he's incredibly misguided. I believe he's incredibly dangerous um, because he means well. You know, some people may think he's evil or the Antichrist. Um, I think he's more dangerous than either of those. I think he legitimately means well. And those people are always capable of more harm uh, than just somebody who's pure evil because Every day they wake up inspired that they're doing the right thing and that they're saving lives. But the reason, to go back to your question, the reason people listen to him is, well, of course the media uh, plays along. He is, he's a saint in the new religion of science, the marriage of science and governance and pharmaceutical interests. He sort of sits at the top. He's given them all the money. He is the pope in this new uh, religion. So they're going to listen to him because he has that symbolic um, papacy, you know, that he wears. You you don't see it. He has a little uh, purple sweater on. He doesn't have the vestments uh, of a uh, a scrubs or of a scientist's lab coat. But he is he is uh, clergy. You know, he is the priest. He is the pope. 
So for those who believe that science and pharmaceutical interests are going to save humanity from its imminent destruction, and remember, these guys are the new fear merchants. They live by promulgating fear from disease. Uh, he is promising salvation through a vaccine. And in fact, he has many vaccines under develop and development. And the one that or two that show the most promise or the least amount of harm, we'll say, are going to be promoted to Messiah. So obviously, we're all waiting for that uh, to drop. But it is an interesting repeat of history that's playing out right before our eyes. Well, let's look at his, his track record. I've been reading um, some of the dispatches from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci. And uh, and I don't know if to what extent this is true, but I've been reading about Bill Gates' track record with the, the, uh, the polio vaccine in India, which seems to have gone horribly, tragically wrong. Something like a half million Indian children left with a non-polio flaccid disorder, I believe it's called. Yeah, uh, non-acute flaccid myelitis. Yes. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. seems to think that, that this was the result of the Gates vaccine, and he claims that the Indian authorities kicked Bill Gates out and blamed him for that as well. What do you know about that? I don't know much more than what's been said or probably what you've, what you've read. Uh, we, we know this about the polio vaccine. It, it, the oral polio vaccine uh, is a live virus polio vaccine. Uh, it will never eradicate polio. Even vaccine inventor uh, Salk admitted to that. So uh, it has a nasty tendency to create paralysis. So uh, when Bill Gates comes in there with millions and millions of dollars and they're um, what they call pulse vaccinating these children like once a month, for a year or two, there will be paralysis that comes from that. Now, unfortunately, uh, I think there was a massive outbreak of paralysis, probably linked to his vaccination program. And um, as always, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. He meant well. Uh, but when you increase the vaccination rate that much, you are going to see paralysis. And I think uh, from what I gather, they suffered from a really nasty outbreak of it. Uh, enough that they, as far as I know, they kicked him out. Now, maybe that wasn't exactly what happened. Maybe they, you know, stripped his, some title of his organization or kicked the charity out only to invite them in a back door another way because they still want their money. You know, I don't know the, the details of it. But to suggest that a massive polio vaccination program caused paralysis is not the stuff of conspiracy theory. It, it happens all the time. And in fact, the polio vaccine in America is the leading cause of polio. Um, there's not much of it, thankfully, because our intestines are, are not racked by rampant pesticide use, uh, but it still is a problem. Now, there is another story about some infertility medicine that got inside a vaccine, and given that Bill Gates has, has a history of being um, for population reduction or population control, that obviously did not go over well with anyone, and rightfully so. I have never heard the details of what actually got into the vaccine and how, but um, I would love to know what the actual story is there. I, I, I try not get hysterical about these things. I try and find out the actual um, story, and I, I sense that about you as well. So I, I haven't gone around screaming from the rooftops because I've never been able to confirm 
what was in those vaccines that uh, made women infertile? And was it a purposeful ma- manipulation or, or could they prove that it was accidental? Likewise. Given his history, hmm. it's very suspicious. Right. I I, um, I try not to ascribe, you know, evil intent uh, to him as well when he talks about or has talked about uh, depopulation. Uh, I have tended to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and assumed he was talking about reducing infant mortality through vaccination programs and that that is, an, a, mm-hmm. that is a way, a method of reducing population, again, by reducing infant mortality. But who knows? Uh, you know, short of look, looking into his soul, uh, perhaps we'll never know. Uh, but a, a vaccine for a coronavirus, I, I've, I've read a number of um, epidemiologists and, and immunization specialists who have said or have written that, that coming up with a, a vaccine for coronavirus may prove to be very disappointing because the coronavirus does not produce the kind of a strong immune reaction, uh, you know, as as strong an immune reaction as you would hope for. And therefore, any vaccine would likely uh, not be successful. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, it it's early on in the, the sort of public knowledge of coronavirus and its immunological response of course scientists have been studying it for a while um i've just like you have just sort of started reading about it recently um from what i can tell immunological response to coronavirus is is very poorly understood uh, you know sometimes it appears that the the antibodies can be measured easily and we can safely assume someone has immunity other times they will say you know uh, we've seen people appear to have uh, reinfections, and um, all of these things are, are very concerning because I think it, it's at this point, if your listeners don't know this, coronavirus has been manipulated by man uh, for years and years now. There's a, a research technique called gain of function research where uh, viruses are purposefully manipulated to become more, uh, I don't want to say lethal because you don't want it to kill, but let's say more powerful. The reason they do this is because it's very expensive to study viruses. You have to have lab animals and you can only infect them one time. So if you have a monkey, like a rhesus uh, or macaque, and they cost $1,000, you get one chance to infect them with coronavirus. And if you infect them and they don't show symptoms, then then you've just wasted $1,000. And the animal, you know, I'm sure they have some uh, way of killing it, I assume. I don't think they sell them to you know, zoos at this point. So what they do is they purposefully manipulate these viruses to become more powerful. So that ideally, every time they attempt to infect a monkey, it gets infected. They did this with polio. Um, you know, in the in the ni- early 1900s, they were doing the same thing with polio. They were purposefully trying to make it more virulent because it wouldn't consistently infect monkeys. That research, um, as far as I know, was first being done in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is the state I live in. And they were working with scientists from the uh, Wuhan Virological Institute to manipulate the coronavirus to make it more powerful and more deadly. 
Now, unfortunately, this same type of research is what people do for biological weapon research. They're trying to make the virus more deadly. Um, so very strange things happen when you manipulate viruses by man. It has unpredictable responses and doesn't behave like a normal virus would. Um, so unfortunately, uh, the immunological response to coronavirus seems to be unpredictable. And I think we can expect a, uh, a vaccine to behave in the same way. And uh, I don't know if you've read much about the vaccine development, but uh, the I think it's called, is it Moderna that's making the, uh, they seem to have the, the leading candidate right now. And they're using this, uh, uh, what do they call it, mRNA technology. And if you haven't read anything about it, um, it will terrify you. Well, I remember a New York Times article several years ago talking about the next generation of vaccines uh, being DNA vaccines. Maybe you could explain what that means and if that's related to the mRNA that you're talking about. Yeah, I I don't know a whole lot about DNA vaccines, but the mRNA, there there is a difference and people tend to confuse them. But the mRNA vaccine, real quickly, you know, we have several types of vaccines. We have live virus vaccines. This is like, if you think of polio, it's, it's the polio virus. Uh, it's been uh, attenuated or weakened so that ideally it doesn't cause paralysis, uh, but still enough that it causes an, causes an immunological response. There's inactivated um, vaccines, which just flat out kill the virus. Um, there's toxoid vaccines, which, you know, inactivate like a toxin that a bacteria excretes, et cetera. M- mRNA viruses, uh, uh, vaccines terrify me because they're not medicine. They're not proteins. You can almost think of them as instructions. They are um, DNA-like instructions that if they can make their way into the nuclei of cells, they give them instructions as to what to do. And assuming the instructions are correct, um, they can make uh, either the proteins or the antibodies, let's say eventually the antibodies, that might prevent someone from having a harmful infection by coronavirus. Now the problem is... um, this isn't an efficient way of doing it, so they have to program these messages to self-replicate. They call it self-amplify. And then the question becomes, how do you turn it off? If you create a replication model instructions in cells that go out and instruct other cells to do this and instruct other cells to do it, if things go wrong, you can't stop taking it. This is something you know, Bill Gates, you'll hear him describe as a DNA factory we're injecting a DNA, fa- I'm, I'm sorry, a vaccine factory into someone because it's, it's the instructions for how to create uh, protection from these diseases. Now, if this works, it will be a miracle of modern science. If it doesn't work, as is often the case, it, it, could, create, uh, it could create a generation of people who, who can't humanely have children because they may pass this on to their children. I, I mean, the, the ramifications of this, the ethical concerns are so off the scale. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, uh, I, but this really bothers me. The mRNA vaccines terrify me. So do you see 
a mandated vaccine coming our way? Oh, for sure. Uh, now, two two considerations there. Is it at a federal level or state level or a county level? Maybe at a state level. There's certainly some fairly progressive states which may give it a shot. You know, they've got enough uh, political uh, clout to pull something like that off. They have enough ignorance to try to pull something like that off. Now, what will happen is it'll be challenged for sure. You'll see counties that resist it. You will see police and military that resist it. You know, if, if it comes to enforcement, you're certainly going to have law enforcement resist doing it. You're going to have, if it became, if it came to military enforcement, certainly you will have military enfor- uh, resist it. So I, I believe it will happen. I, I think it's likely that it will happen. Whether the vaccine police show up at you or I or my door and actually drag us out kicking and screaming, you know, and strap us to a gurney and inject us, I think is unlikely. Um, unfortunately, I think war is likely to happen before that. I, I, I think there's enough people that are so concerned about uh, the aura of Bill Gates and his papacy uh, creating on the fly three times the normal speed of vaccine development, a vaccine for a virus which has a 99.95 survival rate or whatever it is, and mandating it. I think there are so many people that are so concerned about it. You're likely to see war or violence or violent disobedience or resistance uh, before it happens. I I hope it never comes to that, of course. Um, But I think it'll be challenged legally. I think you'll have a hard time enforcing it purely from a law enforcement perspective. I can't imagine police, sheriffs, or uh, military will have the conscience to do this. There, there, there will certainly be some, but I can't imagine the majority of them will go along with it. Do you think we are now in the age of the pandemic? In other words, uh, there's going to be another wave and another, either real or imagined, another wave and another wave, and then on to the next variant and so forth, uh, on for the foreseeable future? If, if we don't change our attitude about scientific research, then I think we are. Uh, whenever there's a nuclear disaster, it's always a sobering discussion that follows. You know, across the the media, you will see experts have discussions about, you know, is this the right thing? Should we should we actually just consider fossil fuel a, a legitimate source of energy? Is the, are the risks from nuclear power too much to be worth it? You know, you see these discussions over and over. We saw them after Fukushima. We saw them after Chernobyl. And if you're old enough, you can remember them after Three Mile Island. We have none of those discussions now. All of the enlightened newscasters I've seen, no one, out of all the enlightened newscasters I've seen, no one seems to have brought up the concern of maybe this is a bridge too far. Maybe this gain-of-function research that we're doing in an effort to, I'm quoting in the air, um, empower these viruses to make them easier to study. Maybe the risks are too great. So even if coronavirus was not purposefully released, but was an accidental release, the problem started much earlier. We can assume accidents will always happen. Purposefully manipulating these viruses to become more powerful 
is not an accident. That was done on purpose. And that's where discussions in my mind need to be have as a human species about are the risks too great to be worth any potential gains from doing this kind of research. Uh, Forrest, how do people get uh, a hold of a copy of The Moth in the Iron Lung, Crooked, Man-Made Disease Explained, Vax Baby, uh, My Incredible Opinion, Volumes 1 and 2, <laughs> Unvaccinated, and so forth? Well, uh, those are books that I've written uh, about medicine, the history of science and medicine. And currently, they are still available on Amazon. Uh, I think Amazon is maybe uh, about to go under a, a civil suit from the government for some antitrust actions. So I think they're currently on their best behavior. They are not banning people like some of the other industry technology titans are. But you can get my books on Amazon and my website, which is just my name, ForrestMoretti.com. Uh, I have a store there. You can buy them there. But uh, I'm happy to say they're still available on Amazon. Forrest. Always great talking to you. You're just a font of uh, valuable information and wisdom. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be right back to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. Hey, I just published the May issue of my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. Each issue contains my monthly brief, news about upcoming episodes of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, a spotlight on past guests, a book club, my favorite podcast pick, and a This Month in Conspiracy History feature, and more. To subscribe to Inner Sanctum, go to my website, strangeplanet.ca and register. Just enter your name and email and you'll start receiving Inner Sanctum every month for free in your email inbox. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca and register. Why not do it right now? Coming up next time, the dangers of 5G technology. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.